Other investors may be going risk off. If you're going impact on, you'll want to grab Impact Alpha's best deal of the year, 50% off an annual subscription. That's $200 off the regular price. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. I'm Brian Walsh, and from Impact Alpha, this is another episode of our Institutional Shift podcast series. The, the money representing demand is going to outdrive the supply of carbon transition infrastructure projects, and the demand for forward positions on credits is going to drive the demand for projects as well. That's Dave Chen, CEO of Equilibrium Capital. In this episode, Dave and David Bank look back on the predictions they laid out for 2020 and look ahead to 2021. Let's jump right into their conversation. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm great. It's so good to have you back. We've been doing these annual kind of look-aheads for three or four years now, um, trying to lay out some of the themes that will come up in the next year. In this case, what's going to coming up in 2021. I thought we might start actually by just taking a quick look back at 2020 because predicting was kind of a, I don't know, hazardous <laughs> occupation for this year. Um, so let's just take a quick dive through what we actually said. We actually put this out a little bit later the in, in, in February of 2020, just before kind of the world changed. But here's one that you, that you called out. You said the carbon footprint of air travel was going to turn road warriors into pariahs and that investors and others were going to think twice about flying around the planet to talk about saving it. So what happened to air travel this year, Dave? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you get to be both. Um, look, we, so, so. We, we spotted early last year that, uh, that uh, our leading investors were becoming much, much more concerned about uh, their own carbon footprint and much more concerned about uh, us as investment managers on their behalf and what we were doing. And, and we started to see that pretty widespread. And the pandemic sort of solved that one, huh? Uh, but, but, but I think for me, the interesting thing will be uh, there are so many folks that we have talked to who have found that much of travel might have been unnecessary. And there is travel that is necessary and the human relationship development that's necessary. But so much of it might, in fact, be unnecessary. And I'll tell you, my prediction for 2021 is that from a social standpoint uh, in business, I, I think um, we're going to develop a new vocabulary uh, in, in business, which is, uh, I'll call it permission granting. And, and so we'll find artful ways of granting our business partners permission not to travel. And, uh, and, and we'll find artful ways of, of saying it. Like, uh, it'll be a little bit like being a smoker. Excuse me, can I smoke in your house? Uh, and uh, the answer will be no. Um, uh, or yeah, sure. And, and I think we're going to develop the same kind of, of etiquette of, hey, listen, will you hold it against me if I don't travel to London to uh, stand in front of you to uh, pitch the deal? And the other side will, will develop the vocabulary. No, we won't hold it against you. In fact, we might even reward you. So, mm -hmm. so I think... We'll learn how to say that politely and really mean it. Indeed. And I think in, in some sense, the, the default will maybe fall on the other side is like, don't come unless you really have to. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, the other one, the other one we flagged, which also has a pandemic uh, um, uh, relevance in, in a more serious way, is that we talked about the S in ESG, the social aspect and, and in, in effect, income inequality. And I don't think we called it out, but but effectively also you know, racial inequality and racial justice 
um, and we flagged that as as share the wealth and that social issues were going to become were going to come to the fore in 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 2020, which indeed they in the, indeed they have um, uh, for better or worse, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I think that McKinsey calls COVID uh, the great accelerator, and that that it accelerated the presence of certain trends that were already in society, and and already in the marketplace. And I think this one is probably perhaps the most um, poignant of all, and not just the aspect of of making race uh, very visible and putting that right in the front. But this whole issue of we've known for years now that a huge hunk of America doesn't have more than a few hundred dollars saved. And I think we saw that this year. And it, and again, COVID put it in our face in a way that we couldn't really avoid it. And, and frankly, given where we are as a country today and the fact that we now continue to have unemployment at, at, at staggering rates, we, we are clearly not done yet. And between the homeless and those that are working shift and, and gig jobs, those that are working in hospitality, uh, those that, that are working in, in lower rung jobs that, that now put them in very, well, it's not even precarious, just out and out, um, you know, life-threatening kinds of, of situations. These are now very, they're in our face and we can't avoid them. In, in, indeed. And again, as you said, the great acceleration. So there's both, I think, greater awareness of the role and value of essential workers, but there's also, you know, big pushes, for example, towards automation and other things in part to, you know, make workplaces not have to have as many human beings who can who can get sick. So there's lots of there's lots of cross currents there. I don't know that it's completely sorted out in terms of whether which way um, things are going to go. Another trend you called out last year, which I think did play out as well as sort of consolidation in this sustainable investing, sustainable finance, impact investing world, mergers and acquisitions. Um, how's that playing out? Well, I, I think that's actually one of my forecasts for this year is is, is some of the areas that, that, I, that I think are going to be very promising for, for mergers and acquisitions. But, but in just the last couple of months, we've had two very, very important transactions take place. One was uh, Morgan Stanley's acquisition of Eaton Vance and really the, the, the crown jewels that are in there were uh, parametric. And to a, 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 a smaller degree, uh, Calvert uh, in, in that platform. Which Eaton, Va- which Eaton Vance had earlier acquired. Yeah. 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 But the parametric one was, I think, the really important one. That was in the area of customizable index. And uh, much of the, the, the recent growth was uh, in the uh, serving the demand for ESG-oriented customizable indexes. So now you've got Morgan Stanley clearly in a very important position with that acquisition of, I, I dare say, dominating that modality of investing. I think that uh, just last week we saw BlackRock acquire uh, Aperio for a billion dollars. And uh, very similar thing, the customizable uh, sustainability, ESG, climate, uh, uh, ESG values driven indexing. And so you've had two of the leading players uh, uh, now taken off the market and put onto very large consolidated platforms. And the, 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 as you said, the lure of that is this um, um, apparently um, very strong demand from um, investors for ESG uh, type products. I think in terms of the capital flows to those funds, it's 
it's the 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 non-ESG funds are maybe losing capital, and the ESG funds are are, are raking it in. And uh, these folks now can can offer those, as you say, um, kinds of products more cheaply, easily, quickly. Yeah, and and both of them had distinctive uh, differentiation and capabilities that made them unique. But I think they were both uh, recipients of the quote unquote tidal wave of demand that was taking place and had the wherewithal to be able to serve them in unique ways. Another one we, we flagged, which, uh, which we at Impact Alpha um, uh, tr- tried to pay attention to all year long was this, uh, what we think we call the corporate strategy shift. And it was in a sense, the operationalization of sustainability inside corporate operations. We, I, we spent some time with Schneider Electric, which is generating a large share of its revenues from this shift to what they call distributed, digitized, decarbonized energy and driving a, a, a sort of upgrade cycle there. And then one I know you liked was was John Deere. We just noticed uh, on their analyst call for their for their quarterly earnings that some of the analysts are, are raising their numbers on Deere because of this precision ag technology that that you called out where they're basically helping farmers uh, adapt to climate change with new technology, that that climate adaptation has become, in effect, John Deere's you know, uh, growth business. Yeah, and, and I think John Deere in particular, I, I respect the fact that they saw the, uh, I'll call it the business opportunity that uh, or the economic advantage for their customers, the farmers, in things like soil carbon and in things like reduction of the use of herbicides and things like that. And and yet we're able to, I think, very, very practically talk about those without ever using the word climate change or without using, you know, buzzy terms like uh, carbon sequestration and and really translate this into terms that that the farmer could understand as as part of their productivity and their and their basically making more money or, 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 or having a better asset. Well, and so what is the, what are the other examples of that? I mean, what are the other companies, but what are the other kind of categories where sort of the sustainability imperative is now becoming the value driver for that company? Not just, you know, not just cutting a little, you know, using resource a little bit more efficiently or cutting waste a little bit, but actually driving the solution. Hey, are you uh, are you asking me now to launch into the 2021 trends and predictions? Well, you know, yeah, there's a kind of continuity between the 2020 and the 2021. So let's just roll into it. Um, I, I know you've got some some thoughts on uh, where things are going to go with uh, with carbon and climate change. So I, I think that um, one of the first and, and, and most important themes I'm going to focus on is uh, the corporations again. And I think that there are four strategies that that I think we're going to see in 2021. The, the, the first one I think that you're going to see is an old term that 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 was at first used by Intel in the 90s, and that's the creosote bush. And you're going to see a bunch of companies that have um, succeeded beyond their wildest imaginations in a fossil fuel-oriented era that lasted 100 years and it's so egregiously profitable, and now they have to figure out a way that they're going to do something, quote-unquote, new that survives in, in the shadow of something that is so powerful, so dominant in their company. The Creosote Bush was, as I said, Intel used this term 
because they desperately in the 90s wanted to expand the footprint of their company beyond the microprocessor. But everything that they tried to do, every market that they entered, every category that they entered paled in comparison to the power, market share, and frankly, profitability of the microprocessor. So it basically, the, the, the strength that they had in the microprocessor killed everything else. You're going to see this strategy being executed or challenged by the entire oil and gas industry. All right. And, and, and that is that, that given oil and gas, how do they build something from within their company that challenges the, uh, the cash cow that has dominated their thinking, their paradigm and their profitability and their market positioning uh, for, for 100 years? That's a classic innovator's dilemma, Clay Christensen sort of idea, where you can't, you are sort of reluctant to cannibalize the existing cash cow for the new thing, which may not be as profitable. Absolutely, and 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 if you take BP, BP did a great job in the early two thousands, uh, uh, saying, "Hey, we're going to be the green BP," and they bought several billion dollars worth of wind farms and other quote unquote renewable assets. It was big enough to show off. Uh, but then they quietly, uh, by the time we got to the end of the 2010-ish period, they sold them off, changed in strategy. Well, BP is going to have to do it again this time, except it's going to come in 10, 20, 50 billion dollar chunks that they have to now build in order to run outrun the decline of of oil and gas. And in, on, on that on that, Dave, the innovators' dilemma question is is interesting because it's you know the oil and gas industry is not now so profitable. So you'd think it would be easier to let it go and move into um, and move into the areas of the future. There was a moment um, a couple of weeks ago when uh, 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 Next Era Energy, renewable energy company, surpassed Exxon in market value. That's exactly right. And uh, we have many, many examples of this. We have uh, the entire automotive industry uh, lagging Tesla. You know, and there are fundamentally different ways of thinking about this. And you know, Tesla doesn't think about the uh, electric automobile, the EV, as simply take the drivetrain out and replace it with uh, with uh, with electric motors. They think about it as an as a very different platform. They think of it almost as as a uh, iPhone with four wheels. That's that's geared for transportation in terms of where the value is added how they think about the, the value proposition to the, the consumer. It's an entirely different way of thinking about it. Well, you're going you're gonna to have to watch the industries wrestling through with this. So I think this old strategy issue of whether you look at it from the Clayton Christensen or the Creosote Bush, this is what we're going to watch big companies do it. And I think this year we're going to watch major corporations dealing with this. And, and it'll be very visible out in public. Well, and it's a, you know, as you say, it's a huge management challenge to manage that transition. There's, there's obviously, you know, several pathways through it. There's the digging your heels, obviously, and try to milk as much, you know, as you can out of the existing uh, oil and gas fossil fuel infrastructure. There's the jump quickly. There's this, there's, there's all kinds of startup strategies, obviously, to, to try to be disruptive, as you said, and Tesla being the, everybody's, um, <laughs> you know, everybody's not fever dream at night. Um, uh, but uh, how does it, how does it play out, and, and and what are the what are the what are the things to watch for? Well, I mean, I think that you, you hit it, and that is that uh, when I have plenty of time ten years uh, ago to actually uh, bet on startups, well, and 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 let the passing of time 
uh, create significance and bulk and sufficient revenue and sufficient market. Well, today, if I have to do that transition, what is it that I can buy that's, again, in $10 billion, $20 billion chunks, because that's what I'm going to have to do to turn the company. I don't have 10 years to wait. All right. I think the second strategy in corporate uh, that corporations are going to be dealing with is, and, and this has, has as much to do with uh, environmentalism as anything else, and that is this concept that I would call the original sin. It, it always was fascinating to me that uh, people will protest things like mining, but yet they like their cars. And for that matter, they like their iPhones. And, and, and the challenge that, that we have to make room for is the fact that uh, the sin has been created. And, and whether the sin is the fact that we did mining or whether we, in fact, burned uh, the rainforest and created palm oil uh, plantations or whether we had done that uh, a century ago and, and now have rubber plantations. The, the original sin was the uh, desecration of, of the environment. Right to to be used for these uh, human productivity requiring natural resources. The, the issue is, what do you do now? And 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 odds are that no matter where you are, uh, there is go there are going to be severe restraints being put on uh, the the new burning or the new mining or the new uses of, of lands for those purposes. But what happens to the lands that in fact are already being deployed in those and how will we make them quote unquote more sustainable? And, and I think that this will now become a bona fide conversation it, it, it has for the last number of years, I think had a third rail kind of, of, of aspect to it, which is, all palm oil plantations are bad. All, you know, this, that, and the other thing are bad. And, and this year, I think, because the corporations are now stepping up and realizing that, that they're going to have to build a sustainable future for themselves in these categories, I think we're going to have the first meaningful conversations this year about well, what is it that we can actually do to take these original sins and now focus on making them sustainable assets. And that means sustainable cement plants, sustainable petrochemicals, sustainable mining, as you say, sustainable, uh, obviously sustainable transportation. Well, you're not getting rid of your tires off your car. You know, you're not getting rid of, uh, you know, I mean, the truth of it is that palm oil in actuality is one of the most uh, efficient forms of renewable oils. It's just, you know, how those plantations came about. So, so how do we live with something that, in, in fact, is actually very efficient and very usable and, in fact, is much more than just cooking up a French fry? It, it, it is actually a precursor for many other chemical uses that, in some ways, replace petrochemical use. And it's also a, a, a leading source of biodiesel. So, so, so how do we now rationalize the fact that the original sin has been created? And we make better, more productive, more sustainable use of some of these resources. Well, the general way is to say, as they say, internalize the externalities and both positive and negative. The negative ones are well known, as you said, the despoilization and the deforestation and whatnot. The positive ones could be, um, could be, as you say, like, you know, learning how to do all this better. People can get 
paid for that, whether they get paid for more water in the watershed or cleaner air in the cities or other kinds of positive benefits that come from the, from from new approaches. Yeah, I think that the, the third um, corporate strategy that, that I think we're going to start seeing in 21 is uh, the understanding that Moore's law is hitting many of the avenues or many of the areas of sustainability. And, and, and I'm using that a little bit as an exaggeration. Because there's, because there's no actual law, I hate to tell you, but yes. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the application of Moore's law was such an extreme situation with regard to the microprocessor and the power of the microprocessor uh, and, and the, the, its ability to double that every, every few years. But it, be, but it become, it be, the, my point was it wasn't a law. It became a self-fulfilling expectation and thus a design criteria for all chip designers that they had to hit that. And once they're all designing for it and have to hit it, then they all, they all hit it. And then it becomes, it becomes self-fulfilling over time. And as you say, it's happening, it's, it's happened in solar panels, it's happened in batteries, it's happened in all sorts of other technologies for the same, for the same reason. reason. We're watching it happening in agriculture. We're happen, watching it happen in the automotive industry. I oftentimes say that uh, that uh, 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 what do I as a consumer expect in uh, my car five years from now? What a better leather package, incrementally better mileage in a very very small way. But what do I expect uh, in my relationship to the Tesla in five years? I expect that for the same fifty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars I spend, I got a whole lot more car. I either got self driving. I got, uh, you know, all forms of, of data-driven convenience. I got better performance on the on the battery. Uh, maybe not Moore's law, but 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 in the, you know, double-digit percentage increase, I got better uh, efficiency on the motor, et cetera, et cetera. So for the same fifty thousand or forty thousand dollars, I expected double the car. All right, and 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 you really didn't expect that from your Chevy or your Mercedes. Uh, that 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 five years from now, for the same sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars, I got double the car. And I think that's an expectation management that we're seeing the full force of technology being applied in the sustainability area across multiple industrial sectors. Well, I know you've been very active in in agriculture and in this sort of technological revolution in in agriculture um, with controlled environment, uh, ag, you know, high tech greenhouses. Um, but, but the yields are just like that, right? I mean, you're getting, you're getting kind of double digit percentage increases in yields, um, and, and applying technology to, to food, you know, good old fashioned food, right? Yeah. I think we're forecasting that we could see as much as 10% per annum productivity increases in the greenhouse. And in part, because so much technology and overlapping technology now is being thrown at at these problems. The the fourth strategy in 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 a, in a way, John Deere exemplifies this, and and I'll call that the the the, the great burp forward, and that is that uh, for the last four years, uh, out of fear that you uh, as a corporate citizen use the word climate change too publicly, uh, in especially in the targeted industries. Uh, you might get uh, a Twitter uh, slam from uh, from uh, uh, the administration, and I think that that the reality is that much of this stuff has been going on underneath the surface now for the last four years inside of corporations, and 
I think that uh, what we're going to see in this next year is that much of the stuff that actually has been hidden uh, or not talked about very overtly uh, is going to come out like one big massive burp. And, uh, and, 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 and frankly, I'm actually very optimistic. I don't think it'll be greenwashing. You know, I, I, again, as I said, you know, the stuff that John Deere is doing, um, they have not, and they've been very careful not to associate the word climate change, climate adaptation, uh, modifying, uh, uh, can't move dirt. You know, if the climate's changing in your region, you can't just up and lift your farm and, and, and go somewhere else. So I think that they've been very artful and very careful, but I think they're going to watch them take take not just credit for it, but overtly now uh, out in the open, really start to talk about these kinds of things. And again, always in the context of how, how they add value and make their farmers more competitive. I think you're going to see that in multiple industries. Well, just to the point, you know, we couldn't have necessarily predicted or um, or a year ago what the results of the election would be. Now we don't have to predict. There will be a new administration, uh, we think. And um, the signals from that new administration, as you say, are all around climate action, around ESG and sustainability and in, in, in finance. I mean, a lot of the things that, have, as you say, have had to kind of percolate under the radar for the last four years now become the policies and the the signals and the incentives in the new administration. Dave, if you don't mind, I'm going to rattle through the rest of these uh, 2021 forecasts. Uh, I think I think the next big one is that next year will be the year of the, uh, I'll call it the carbon race, uh, and and carbon credits are going to come. We had a brief moment in this country in the, in the mid-2000s where uh, between the, the carbon exchanges and the voluntary markets, we had a big leap forward on the number of projects. But I think this year, uh, you're going to see in 2021, a, a land grab, so to speak, for carbon credits. You're going to see major companies buying inventory positions on forward positions of, of carbon. You're going to watch uh, the carbon uh, protocols, whether that's regenerative soil uh, carbons or whether that's uh, sequestration and the science behind sequestration in other formats. Uh, Forest carbon, soil carbon, like you say, all kinds of ways to, 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 to get credits. And you're saying the demand will grow, go up both voluntarily and also under mandated regulatory regimes? And you're seeing that de facto in some of the things that are taking place, for example, in the West Coast with uh, the renewable fuels and, and things like that. So you're gonna see it across a, a, a range of things. But the key thing that I'm highlighting is uh, folks are gonna start taking inventory positions. So forward inventory. So unlike if you build it, they will come. Uh, I think the reverse is gonna happen in 2021. Uh, companies are gonna take forward contract positions and, and contract ahead of production for the buying and the securing of inventory. Which creates an ind industry of creating those credits that can then have more visibility into the future and scale up bigger projects. Dave, uh, demand drives everything. All right, and 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 twenty one is going to be the year that demand will drive and will grossly outstrip supply. Grossly, pushing prices up and making the whole thing more economic as well. You have some inventory positions that may be the entire year's worth of production or the entire next five years worth of production. And just to be clear for the listeners, the buyers of these forward inventory positions are like who? 
companies. They're not speculators. For their own operational needs. Um, yeah. And not just not just oil and gas carbon emitters, but all kinds of companies. You could see oil and gas doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have to now. Yeah. Uh, and the drag along to the opposite side of that is is as there is demand, you're going to see the credible growth of uh, carbon transition infrastructure kinds of projects. And again, the incredibly high demand for those projects. Uh, and again, this time from the capital markets, because we're so grossly undersupplied and the demand is now going to outstrip the supply. So money will drive the, the 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 money representing demand is going to outdrive the supply of carbon transition infrastructure projects and the demand for forward positions on credits is going to drive the demand for projects as well so both the capital side as well as hard inventory positions the um the next one that that, that i would see is uh the uh this is the year where standards start becoming regulated, regulatory, uh, law, and, uh, and we're going to see the consolidation of, of standards. We already saw, saw it uh, a few weeks ago with uh, SASB and the, and the merger uh, and the creation of both a U.S. now and a uh, international set of standard platforms starting to take place. But I think this is the tip of the iceberg. And then the, the and and just and just on that, the Europeans are, are very keen on that and, and driving it forward in all sorts of ways. And that was the merger. No. Yeah. And the other part of that is that uh, and we're seeing this uh, with my Kellogg hat on in terms of the amount of uh, academic peer review, uh, data driven research and the quality of the research that's 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 emerging. Look, the Moskowitz Prize has been around for over 20 years, but the level of research that's taking place and the level of conclusions that's taking place um, these are now big pieces of work that are starting to prove the efficacy of many of the things that we thought uh, or believed uh, was going to be true out of the E, the S, and the G in terms of uh, outperformance, in terms of impact on S, impact on E, uh, impact on, on, on the competitiveness of companies. And so Standards are going to start uh, to, to, to take form, not as voluntary or as advocacy, but increasingly as regulation. And the proof that these things actually make a difference uh, is starting to appear in academic research. And I think between these two, the level of dialogue that's going to take place uh, in 21 of new frameworks, new uh, risk theories, uh, we're going to see that uh in, in other words, CIO level conversations, we're going to see that one taking off in, in 21. And again, you, you mentioned risk. It's in similar in many ways to the way that the sort of risk analysis developed uh, several decades ago um, and became a part of any kind of investment decision making and got quantified and, and, and traded and, and, and whatnot. Now you've got impact, sustainability, all these kinds of metrics becoming part of just everybody's financial analysis. And, and I think that, that risk in the sustainability world, and, and when I use that framing, I'm dragging everything along with that, you know, climate change, uh, the ESG, all of this, when you, when you put that together, risk will um, 
transition from something that we talk about as a concept into a concept that increasingly will be pricing and that will result in pricing. The, the, the last thing that, that, uh, that will happen in 21 is that this move uh, in the major financial services platforms, all right, the game's over uh, in, in, in major financial services platforms, and that is uh, sustainability is no longer uh, the small group off to the side. Uh, it is now becoming integrated across the platform because uh, the likes of Aperio and Parametric have been taken off the market. Uh, next year, 2021, all the attention in M&A is going to be paid to the alternatives. And that will go all the way from deep integration into uh, private equity. Uh, it'll be taking credit for the work that, that folks have done in real estate. And then it will go all the way to hedge funds. You're going to watch activist hedge funds uh, execute along the lines of what I talked about in the first 10 minutes of our conversation the creosote bush, the original sin, Moore's law, the great burp forward. You're going to watch the alt and the private markets uh, playing uh, out those strategies, taking advantage of those, uh, or playing to the bottom uh, of the rung uh, performers that aren't doing those strategies and either taking them over at a discount or, uh, or short selling them. But the alts are going to be, I think, where it's at in 2021. And in part, that's an easy one because the cool uh, 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 liquids in terms of public uh, and, uh, and the fixed income and the green bonds, you know, that's sort of done. That, that's now moved into execution phase. And just let me let you wrap it up with um, taking it back to this institutional shift you mentioned, of, uh, you know, the hedge funds and, and some of those guys. But, you know, we've always talked about the big pools of capital, the super tankers of global capital, the pension funds, the sovereign wealth funds, the insurance funds. Um, uh, you've been tracking and, and and living, frankly, the shift as they kind of wake up to some of these um, sustainability uh, trends. Where does that uh, institutional shift uh, uh, stand now as we head into 2020? You know, it's 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 uh, something has changed when you. Uh, of course, we haven't been able to get together in conferences live in. Uh, for now nine or ten months but it's a very odd situation when you go to one of the virtual conferences uh, and some of these uh, conferences now have adopted these avatar settings and uh, when you walk into a virtual bar table conversation at a virtual conference and you find um, the chief risk officer or the cio of several of the sovereign wealth funds and these large pools of capital overtly talking about the role of S uh, and social equality uh, and social access and social mobility, not as a after dinner conversation, but as in conjunction with their uh, obligation and duty uh, and opportunity set within the context of their portfolios. And we started to see that this year. Um, this was not about the after dinner conversation. This was now absolutely part of their portfolio conversation. And so who knows where that leads, but that was a pleasantly shocking change that took place this year. And, and we saw several instances of that. And, and I think that's a signal of, of how we're starting to think about maybe the closed loop of pensions and sovereign wealth funds, which is 
Um, as our respective societies go, so too will our ability to make good on the pensions that we're challenged to manage on behalf of those populations. Well, Dave, I applaud your um, willingness to make some predictions going into 2021 in a in an environment that many people think is you know highly volatile and and unpredictable. But um, you've always been a master of the long term uh, trends here, and uh, I think you did pretty well in 20 in tw- going into 2020, um, all things considered. And um, we're going to check back with you, obviously, again next year. We'll check back with you before then as well on, uh, as we continue to track this institutional shift. Thanks for being with us. It's always good to backtest your uh, portfolio management. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Impact Alpha's Institutional Shift. You can read more about Dave Chen and Equilibrium Capital at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive full access to Impact Alpha content, including deal flow, job postings, and members-only Agents of Impact calls. Don't forget to grab Impact Alpha's best deal of the year, 50% off an annual subscription. That's $200 off the regular price. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe. Thanks to Dave Chen and our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of Impact for the fintech company, Liquinet. Until next time, take care.